south of the border, down Mexico way. That's where I fell in love when the stars above came out to play. And now as I wander. Hello there, all you expat wannabes. I'm Johnny Mueller, and you're listening to The Expat Files, Living in Latin America, the show that tells you just what it's like to live, work, play, and or retire down here in Latin America. It's a mix of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great, and it's all right here, so let's get started. Hey, my new year got off to a terrific start. How about yours? For me, about 11 hours into the new year, I got pulled over by a cop who was using a radar gun. Has that happened to you? I'm sure it has to most of you at one time or another, right? But it's been a long, long time for me. I haven't been pulled over by a cop with a radar gun for over 20 years, and last time I was in Mexico. You long-time listeners might remember me telling that story. I was driving on the so-called Mexican Riviera between Tulum, headed towards Playa del Carmen, got pulled over by two cops with a radar gun. Of course, I asked to see the reading on the gun, and they wouldn't show it to me. That's when I knew something was up. And, you know, there's only two places in Latin America you can't play the dumb gringo. That'd be in Mexico and Costa Rica. That's part of the loss of your gringo advantage in those two countries. The more gringos pile in, the less your advantage. Nope, in Mexico and Costa Rica, the no hablo espanol thing does not get you far. Whereas in the rest of Latin America, the cops usually just get flummoxed and wave you on through. So I repeat, I got pulled over by two cops holding a radar gun. And later on, well, a few minutes later, I was out of the car, and I was walking around their pickup truck, their patrulla, or patrol car. And I saw the radar gun was in the truck bed. And I also noticed the back of the gun was open, you know, the place where the battery goes. There were just a few wires hanging out. I realized then there was no battery in the thing. So they didn't clock me after all. They were just, you know, looking for a payout. And who was I to argue? I think they got 50 bucks out of me. You know, the best way to deal with cops who you suspect really want to bribe is just to say something like this. In case, you know, you're worried you might get in trouble for actually mentioning the word bribe or mordida. Knowing that if you're up in the States and, let's say, get pulled over by the state patrol, that'll get you in big trouble. Anyway, when you get pulled over by a cop in Latin America, especially in Mexico, all you have to tell them is that you're in a big hurry and if there's a fine, you'd like to pay it now. Yep, those are the magic words. Just in case, you know, you're actually confronted with an honest cop. In that case, if you're worried, if you choose your words carefully, you can never get accused of offering a bribe. But in my experience, uh, I'd say one out of a thousand Mexican cops are honest, so fat chance you'll ever meet one. Just think about it. If you say to the guy, look, if there's a fine, I'm in a real big hurry. Can I pay it now? You can't really construe that as offering a bribe. Whereas expat Eddie's a little more blatant. When he's in Mexico, he takes a $50 bill, folds it behind his driver's license, clipped to his license with a paperclip. Eddie's not worried. He believes he'll never run into an honest Mexican cop. By the way, all bribes to Latin cops are negotiable. I bet you were thinking I was going to say tax deductible. No, not quite, but they should be. Of course, in the rest of Latin America, the cops want bribes too. Though I found Mexican cops always want the biggest bribes. They might start at 100 or 200 bucks, whereas the cops in Honduras, Guatemala, Nicaragua, Bolivia, those cops in non-gringo tourist countries, they'll start out low and generally settle for 20. In any event, you can always work them down. Just don't pull out your wallet and show them a watt. 
Oh, and Costa Rica is another country where the bribes are really hefty. Recently, one of my gringo buddies living in Costa Rica told me he was hit up for $500. He worked them down to 100 but still, in the world of standard cop bribes, that's outrageous. Another good reason to skip Costa Rica. After all, it's a completely tourist-based country, and they know just how much they can lean on a gringo for a bribe. And even if you don't have the cash on hand, I have heard of cases firsthand where they'll take you to the ATM. Yep, the cops will take you right to the cash machine. Pretty blatant, huh? You wonder how they learned that trick. So anyway, on the first day of 2024, I got nicked by a cop with a radar gun. And the thing actually worked. He showed me the screen. But I also noticed the gun was scruffy and scratched and pretty well beat up. You know, like it had been dropped on the ground a hundred times. There was even a chunk of plastic missing from the housing. Now, I have to tell you, some time ago, a long time ago, I became pretty much an expert in radar guns, of all things. I know, I know, you're thinking, yeah, right, Johnny, tell us another one. Well, I believe in all the 1,300-plus shows I've done, I never told this story. Stop me if I have. If I did tell it already, could be Alzheimer's kicking in. In that case, I don't want to know. Anyway, way back when I was in engineering school in Chicago, I got pulled over and ticketed by a cop with a radar on my way to school one day. The ticket was something like 120 bucks. Now, that was way back when. Today's value of that 120 bucks would be probably 500 with inflation and all. And here I was, a broke student, and I think it was my third year of engineering school. It said on the back of the form, if I wanted to contest it, I could go to court on a given day, just call the number on the back, it said, to reserve your spot in the court to have a hearing with the judge. And man, the wheels were turning in my head. I thought, is there a way to technically contest this and win? I know, I'll ask Dr. Petzl. So that very day when I was at school, I knocked on the door of Dr. Petzl. He was one of my professors who taught a class called Principles of Microwaves. And I knew cop radar guns worked in the microwave range. So I asked Dr. Petzl, the real nice, slow-talking guy, what kind of accuracy radar guns had. Was there a chance to prove significant error when they took the reading? He said, well, they're pretty damn good if they're very parallel to the road. In other words, the closer the cops using the thing are to the road, the more accurate they are. Probably plus or minus 2%, he said. In other words, he said, if the cop's right on the side of the road and you're clocked at 100 miles an hour, your true speed would range between 98 and 102 miles per hour, plus or minus 2%. However, he said, the farther they are off the road when they're taking their reading, for example, if they're far back from the road, hiding from you in a speed trap, behind a big mound of dirt or a road sign, that happens a lot. I'm sure you've seen it. For example, if the cops are 50 feet or so off the shoulder of the road, in that case, he said the errors start compounding really fast. It all depended on which point in the process they pulled the trigger, how many cars were in your grouping, and how many cars were going the other way down the road where a reflected microwave signal could bounce back. And there's a very simple equation for that. By the way, it said right on the ticket, medium heavy traffic. So I had that in my favor too, meaning there were lots of cars around, lots of bouncing, reflected, and refracting signals. There were plenty of ways errors could be introduced into the system, according to Dr. Petzl. The question was, how do I explain it to the judge if I ended up contesting it in court? 
First of all, it would involve making a nice diagram of the scene of the crime, starting with a triangle, with one line being the road, another line being the perpendicular distance, a right angle off the road. That would be the distance from the road to where the cops were taking their readings, with leg three of the triangle being the angle of intercept, the hypotenuse of the triangle, the direct line of fire from the radar gun to my car. Then he said, draw me that triangle. So I did, and he said, look, you got to go back out there again, pace it off, and put the numbers in the equation, then we'll figure out the real error and if you got a case. So the next day I did, took like 10 minutes. Turns out the distance the cops were sitting in that speed trap from the road permitted a range of error anywhere from 11 plus or minus to 18% plus or minus. Now, if the cops are sitting right on the edge of the road, you're going to see them. They'll usually back off from the road somewhere so you don't see them till it's too late, which compounds the error. I'm sure they're never taught that in cop school. Anyway, they clocked me at 70 in a 55 zone. Again, that was years ago up in Chicago. Down here, it's kilometers, so you'll have to get used to that. It's another whole different story. So, acting on the advice of my microwave engineering professor, Dr. Petzold, I bought a big poster board, drew an aerial view of the place where I got nabbed, made a reasonable facsimile of the cop car, my car, the shrubbery, the place the cops had been hiding, the additional cars going by and alongside me, in my lane and the oncoming traffic lane as well. I used thick magic marker to draw the error equation. It was pretty simple. Oh, and I brought along my microwave engineering book to prove that the equation existed. And I was even able to get from our engineering library a schematic of an actual police radar gun, which was a godsend because in a small footnote, it explained how operational errors increased with distance from the road. Now, just for the record, I was speeding a bit. I don't know how much. But I really couldn't afford to lose 120 bucks, and I figured, hell, maybe I could beat this thing. Wouldn't hurt to try. What have I got to lose? Hey, it was a long time ago, and maybe I even thought I could bluff my way through it with a good presentation. Anyway, the day came. I went to the courthouse with my big old poster. I was sitting out in the hall with probably another 20 people all waiting for their time in court for various reasons. You know, a couple guys drunk and disorderly, some wife beaters. Others there for traffic violations they wanted to contest. And by the way, on the other side of the hall sat the police officers who were witnesses to these crimes and misdemeanors. And my cop was there too, the one that gave me the ticket. So then all the cops sitting there across the hall were obliged to be in the courtroom when the cases came up so the judge could ask him questions, if need be. That's why my particular cop was there. He got me on radar. He gave me the ticket. Now. I remember acknowledging this guy. He was sitting almost right across from me. He was staring at my poster board, saw my diagram, saw me holding my engineering textbook. And of course, so did everyone else sitting on both sides. I looked the odd one. I was the only one there with props. <laughs> anyway, my cop, he heard me talking to the other guys around me who were also going to appear in court for various reasons. We'd all sat there at least an hour or so waiting for our turns. You know, this is government, and government operates very slowly, like molasses. So naturally, people said, I'm here for this or for that. People were talking about their cases here and there. You know, no one's guilty. Everyone's innocent, you know, <laughs> including me. Of course, I was the only guy with the props, so everybody, I mean, everybody was curious about me because I was toting all this stuff. 
And I said, I'm an engineering student, and I'm here to prove that the cops who used that radar did so in error. I'm going to prove they used it incorrectly. And all this stuff right here is going to prove it. And then came my time in front of the judge. I set up my poster, ready to start my spiel. I was pretty nervous. I had never done this kind of thing before. I'd never been in a courtroom. I mean, really, who has? Anyway, five minutes went by, and there I was, but no cop. The judge said, send in officer so-and-so. The bailiff, or whoever he was, went out into the hall, and another five minutes went by. Then the bailiff, or some official guy, said to the judge, officer so-and-so is a no-show. Then the judge looked at me, tapped his hammer down, and said, case dismissed. And man, was I relieved. But a few seconds later, I felt kind of short-changed. I never got to state my case. I was nervous, but kind of looking forward to it. But hey, I'll take the no-show. I'll take the win. And as I went out back into the hall, I kept wondering about what just happened. Since the cop was looking at me for the past half hour, sitting practically right across from me. It was a brain teaser, all right? Did the guy have an emergency or something? I just couldn't figure out what happened, except to think... He thought maybe I really did have a case with all the technical stuff I had on hand and didn't want to look bad in front of the judge if the judge ruled for me. However, that explanation didn't seem quite satisfactory either. And when I told Dr. Petzl, he said, you did it. Good for you. Though I never thought it was a legit win. So anyway, some years went by. I graduated from engineering school and I ended up living next door to a Chicago Tribune reporter, a byline reporter meaning he had an article on the front page or the second page anyway, every single day. And one day, sitting at a party at, I don't know if it was his house or mine, I brought that story up when someone there brought up the fact they just got nailed by a cop with a radar gun just that day. And that's when my buddy, the Chicago Tribune reporter, filled me in on why he felt that cop ducked out at the last minute. Can you guess? Well, until that moment, I wouldn't have imagined it that way, but my buddy, the reporter, he knew the Chicago court system all right. He'd done many a story on it. And he said he'd be willing to bet the real reason the guy didn't show up because he knew if I won that case and there was a good chance I would, being that I was really prepared above and beyond the call of duty, there definitely would have been a reasonable doubt anyway. He said if I would have won, it would have been a juicy story for the paper. For sure, one of the reporters on the court detail would have picked up on it would have been a nice, amusing filler story. Engineering student proves cop radar guns are inaccurate. And the word would get out pretty fast that radar guns have built-in error. He said it wouldn't take long for the Chicago court system to get clogged up with people who'd been nabbed by cops contesting the accuracy of radar guns. You get the picture? Sounds to me, he said, that cop ducking out at the last minute seemed like a plan. So, how about all you guys and gals out there? What do you think? Oh, and my journalist neighbor buddy also said he wouldn't doubt in the next few days after that court no-show event. All the Chicago precincts had a little presentation about the proper use of Doppler radar guns. Have you ever heard of a story like that before? Well, you could say I've led a pretty interesting life. (laughs) But back to the auspicious beginning of 2024 being nailed by a Latino cop with a radar gun. Well, you know, I'm not as feisty as I used to be, so I didn't give a thought to wanting to fight it in court. That'd be lots of time and effort wasted. Didn't even cross my mind. But it did cross my mind to say to the cop, you know, I'm in a big hurry. I understand there might be a fine here. Would it be all right if I paid it here and now? 
And let me tell you, suddenly me and that cop became pretty good friends. <laughs> so in the end, after a bit of dickering, cost me 35 bucks. By the way, on the same subject, you know what I've been noticing more and more? Though most exclusively on toll roads and Latin American superhighways. Seems just recently I've been seeing electronic road signs that flash your speed as you approach. In other words, they've got some kind of radar going that's checking each car as it goes by, but there are no cops or actual humans around. I don't get it, really. Who would allocate the money, the technology, etc., etc.? Just to flash the speed you're driving at. It wasn't necessarily a speed trap. There was no one to find you or stop you. You have to wonder, what the hell good are those things? I'm starting to see them all over the place. Look, we've all got speedometers on our car dashboards, right? So we all know what speed we're driving at. Duh. Do we really need a $5,000 flashing poster that'll die soon due to lack of maintenance? Does a big flashing billboard like that make you want to drive slower? I don't see how there's no deterrent. Just wondering, though, another stupid government do-nothing project? Well, that's what you'd think, right? Just another foolish waste of money. However, if you read the Spanish-language newspapers occasionally, there'll be an article about some benevolent charity, or even government, or NGO. By the way, the South Koreans and the Scandinavian countries in Europe are really good for this one. They'll donate a bunch of money, earmarked for Latin American ambulances, or fire trucks, police patrol cars, streetlights, or just for a particular Latin American country's transit authority in general. And some of that money, after it's been skimmed a few times, actually ends up being used for that purpose. Problem is, and you've heard me say this many times, the word maintenance here in Latin America almost doesn't exist. Except, and this is a good thing, when it comes to high-tech hospital equipment, like CAT scans, monitors, ultrasonic equipment, etc., it turns out the gringos and Europeans who sell that stuff learned their lesson a long time ago. They won't sell it to you unless you buy a first-world, long-term, or even lifetime maintenance contract. That's why medical machinery and medical technology companies like Westinghouse and Hewlett-Packard, GE Medical, etc., have an office and a maintenance department in every big Latin American city. That's why you can have faith in and trust so many of the first-world hospitals here in Latin America. All of their technology is being maintained properly because they have to buy the maintenance agreement or GE Medical won't sell the machine. By the way, just like your computer and iPhone, etc., companies are always updating their software and firmware. So the hospital and clinic equipment down here have the latest and greatest updates. Keep that in mind next time you end up in a Latin American clinic or hospital. Private clinic or hospital, that is. Don't panic. They usually have things well in hand. All right, moving on. You know, I never really recommended Ecuador for a good plan B strategy. Nice place to visit. Wouldn't want to live there. In addition to the fact that me personally, you know, I'm a type A personality, always, you know, up and at them, I find Ecuador personally boring, though you might not. It may be just fine if you want to fade into the sunset. If that's your idea of a perfect plan B, it ain't mine. Great place, though, to get off the grid, do some farming, and write the great un-American novel if you're so inclined, to each his own. However, I've got a big list of reasons why I don't like Ecuador, besides the fact that it's utterly boring. One of the things that really torques me about Ecuador, they've got this terrible law called the Foreign Currency Exit Tax, the ISD. Have you heard of it? Well, let me clue you in. It's a tax you're forced to pay by the Ecuadorian government if you travel abroad, 
if you use cash or credit or debit cards when traveling abroad, or make any kind of purchases outside of Ecuador, like, for example, eBay or Amazon. Now, it wouldn't be so bad if it was a tiny little tax and you barely noticed it, like 0.05% or 0.5%. But get this, as it stands, you have to pay 3.75%. If you're an Ecuadorian resident or citizen traveling outside the country or buying anything from outside the country. By the way, that includes sending money to relatives or friends or companies abroad through remittances or with bank and wire transfers, even Western Union. 3.75% is a pretty big gouge. To make it simple, if you buy something from Amazon for 1000 bucks, you got to pay the government $37.50. The problem is, what started out as a temporary tax became a political tool. Almost all previous presidential candidates have promised to lower it to 2%. But once they get into office, they never do. Why? Because it's a huge windfall for the government. In fact, just from January 2023 through May, which is, what, five months, the Ecuadorian government collected $456 million in those so-called ISD tax collections, meaning their lard-ass government's addicted to that money. After all, you know what Milton Freeman said, there's nothing more permanent than a temporary government tax. By the way, did you know that the federal income tax in the U.S., is a temporary tax? Look it up. When it first went into effect in 1913, it was a temporary tax to pay for World War I. And in 1913, when the federal income tax went into effect, it was called the 16th Amendment, less than 1% of the population, 1 in 100, paid income taxes at all. And the highest rate at that time was only 1%, 1% of net income. And now in 2024, for some, it's 30 times as much. By the way, if you look it up on Wikipedia, It says the U.S. feds kept the federal tax system because of the growing demand by the public for public services and progressive-era social stability programs. Bullshit, Wikipedia. Man, I can't tell you how I hate Wikipedia. They're just a bunch of liars. Makes me laugh when you can look up something on Wikipedia and they say, go ahead, add your comment here. It's supposed to be interactive, right? But they lie about that. You can't add your comment. It's run by a bunch of malignantly woke self-proclaimed progressives who are actually retards. You know what I'm talking about. If you look up any kind of herbal remedies or holistic medicine or things like vitamin C, they'll say they're unproven, unscientifically proven or sound, even dangerous quackery. They'll tell you Dr. Falsi's the king of the science shit pile. They'll tell you ivermectin's horse pace and hydroxychloroquine, a dangerous and evil drug. It'll tell you Robert Kennedy Jr.'s a conspiracy theory nutcase. And that Malay, the new president of Argentina, is nothing more than a tantric sex practitioner who consults with his dogs and walks around with a chainsaw. Only in the small print way down the page do they say he's written 10 books on economics and has two economics master's degrees. I'll tell you how much I like Wikipedia. If I ever run into somebody at a party or something when they're saying, hey, what do you do? Who, me? Well, I work for Wikipedia. You know what? I can practically guarantee you that guy's going to leave the party with a broken nose and a shoe up his ass. However, I found that there are a few things Wikipedia does get right when they're talking about geography or ancient history or sports and entertainment. But when it comes to modern science, topical news, and pharmacology, they're completely captured, bought, and paid for by mainstream media, the U.S. government, and big pharma. Oh, and get this. On Wikipedia's site, here's a quote. Quote, In Wikipedia, there are many errors that remain unnoticed for hours, days, weeks, months, even years. Therefore, Wikipedia should not be considered a definitive source in and of itself. Hmm, they admit it. 
So for all you guys and gals out there and you idiots and dweebs who praise Wikipedia as if it was a real definitive source, you'd better think twice and dig deeper. Now, one of the main reasons I'm bringing up this Wikipedia thing is that Latinos, even the smartest Latinos I know, they'll occasionally back up facts and statistics by saying, it's got to be right. I read it in Wikipedia. The thing is, I've met lots of smart expats and gringos, and a lot of you guys write me emails too. Many of you have been telling me for some time, you don't trust Wikipedia either. I'm on that page too. All right, are you ready for a severe critique of the Latin American Brain Trust? Because here it comes. You know, Wikipedia has been around 20 years or so. It's been translated into something like 10 other languages, including Spanish. Now, you have to know, I've met many, many smart Latinos and Latinas. And in all the years I've been down here, I've only met one person, a Latina, who told me Wikipedia is not to be trusted. They lie. How about that? And man, I'll tell you, I was flabbergasted. By the way, she is one of a kind. She's also the very first Latino or Latina I've ever met, who, when I went to a party at her house not so long ago, I noticed in her kitchen, she had a drawer chock full of vitamins and supplements. All the right ones, too. Curcumin, coenzyme Q10, omega-3, vitamin D, K, selenium, methylfolate, a.k.a. folic acid. Not just folic acid, but the methylated kind, the variety that's most highly absorbable. I was also shocked to see that on her computer screen, she's got a blue light filter. I said, wow, I've got one just like it. She said, really? She said, my friends and family think I'm crazy. I take all these vitamins and supplements. I've got a blue light filter on my computer screen. I use stainless steel pots and pans, not Teflon or aluminum. She says I buy bottled water, but run it through a gravity filter to remove forever chemicals and pesticides. I'm thinking, what planet did this Latina come from? She doesn't even speak English, so she's not been exposed to any of that stuff on the alternative internet sites, which are 99% of the time in English only. The alternative media sites in Spanish are just starting to get off the ground. So you can hardly blame even very smart Latinas and Latinos for not being up on the latest dope. But she certainly is. Meanwhile, Everyone else, especially all Latin American college students, use Wikipedia, that is the Spanish version of Wikipedia, which is basically the same thing, as an unassailable reference as if God handed it down to Moses as an appendix to the Ten Commandments. Could be because I'm getting older, I'm a boomer, and I'm stuck in my ways. As soon as someone says to me, I saw it in Wikipedia, or things like, it must be right, Wikipedia says it's so, well, that person instantly drops a few notches on my scale. Almost as much as someone who tells me their sign then asks me for mine. By the way, what do you do when you first meet someone and they ask you your sign? Do you roll your eyes and play along or excuse yourself to take a leak? Always an acceptable exit strategy. Oh, just noticed we're coming to the end of the show already. Time to remind you once again about my March 2024 Expat Insider Seminar. Come on down and hang with me and the seminar gang for an entire week. Once again, we'll be doing the Guatemalan Altiplano and the beach areas of El Salvador, you know, in and around the famous Bitcoin Beach. Check out the details, the agenda, and itinerary at expatplanb.com. 
You've been listening to The Expat Files, living in Latin America. If you need some help with your own Plan B, we can schedule a one-on-one phone or Skype consult. Just send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. And if you want to get on the waiting list for my next week-long expat insider seminar in Central America, where you're guaranteed to get a two- to five-year head start on your Plan B, send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. Nos vemos.